Good morning. How are you? I'm not Pastor Dave. He's been transformed into a Scottish guy. It's okay. It's only for this morning. You'll get him back later. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Rob Malcolm, and you guys very graciously and sacrificially support, oh, there's a picture of me and my wife. Uh, we are missionaries with the movement we're part of. We're missionaries at Yale University down in New Haven, Connecticut. And as I said, you guys, guys really graciously and sacrificially support what we do. So first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for your, the blessing of you in allowing us to be the hands and feet of Jesus at Yale. Uh, God has done amazing things this last couple of years as we've established ourselves on the campus. This fall, the number of people with no faith that have come to our group has been unbelievable. In fact, one of our students went up to a girl she knew. Yeah. One of our students went up to a girl she knew, and she knew she had no faith, and she said, you know you're at a Christian service. And the girl was like, uh-huh. She's like, have you ever been to a Christian service? And the girl was like, nope. She's like, let me just tell you what's going to happen in the next hour. But we've seen it time and time again. So thank you so much. And I just want to say, you guys are awesome. This building is fantastic. Seriously cool. The last time I was here, you were still meeting in the, the movie theater. So no more popcorn smell. The church I'm part of, actually, that I go to in Brantford, Connecticut, we still meet in a movie theater, so we still have popcorn smell. But this, honestly, guys, God is doing an amazing work in you and through you. This is miraculous. And I don't mean the building, I mean you. This is genuinely miraculous. I'm just blown away by what God is doing in you and through you. Anyway, Star Wars. So it's funny, I remember as a five-year-old in 1970-something going to see episode four, the first one that came out. My brother-in-law took me, we went to the movie theater, and I remember like this huge screen and seeing Star Wars, it was just fantastic. But then it's funny now because I have two kids of my own and my eight-year-old son is fully into Star Wars. And so when Rogue One, or when um, The Force Awakens came out, I mean, he pestered and pestered and pestered. We're like, mom and dad will go see it first to make sure it's okay. <laughs> so we're like, dude, it's a little bit, it's a little bit scary, but he, no, he is like, I'm gonna see that movie. So we took him, and it's so funny now because the tables have turned. He corrects me on Star Wars trivia now. He's like, actually, dad, that's not correct. <laughs> Steady, eight-year-old son. So this story we're in, episode four, for those of you who haven't seen it, you saw the, the information there. The rebels have the plans for the Death Star. They're gonna blow it up. And they're making plans to go do this. But Han Solo, one of the guys, has decided, I've got gold, I've got my ship, I'm out of here. He doesn't care. There's a bigger story he can be part of, there's a bigger narrative, but he's like, no. I'm good. In my hand is my gold and my ship. And he leaves. And Luke and Leah, they try to convince him, but he's gone. He's out of there. Because he was happy with what was in his hands. And here's the question that comes to all of us this morning. 
What's in your hands? You see, I've been a Christian for 25 years, and God has never stopped asking me, what's in your hand, Rob? What's in your hand? Because what is God really asking? He's asking this. Will you trust me with what's in your hand? Are you willing to give me what's in your hand? Or am I going to be like Han Solo and go, I got my gold, I got my ship. To be honest, I have neither of those. Just saying. I got about $2 and a Toyota Yaris. It ain't the same. But I decide, you know what? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. God is constantly asking us, what's in our hand? Because what he's really asking is this, will you trust me with what's in your hand? Are you willing to give it to me? Are you willing to be part of a bigger story, or are you willing to go, you know what, my story's good. I'm good with my story. I don't need to be part of a bigger story. So, here's what I think happens for us in life. A picture's going to go up of someone holding their resume or their college graduation certificate. You see, God comes to you and says, what's in your hand? And you look at your talents and the gifts you have and you say, not a lot. I, I, I have nothing to offer you, God. And honestly, what I've had, I worked so hard for, it's mine. And so when God comes to you and says, what's in your hand, and you think about your talents and gifts, so often we say this, nothing, really. What can I do for you? And so we think our talents and gifts are pointless, and we keep them. But then sometimes God comes to you and he says, what's in your hand? And it's your time. It's your time. Oh, that's a hard one, isn't it? Honestly, sometimes in our house, I feel like, you know, remember you see the old military wars and so on, and there was all these things on a board and they're pushing them around for all these battles. That's how it feels like organizing our kids. Okay, who has soccer practice tonight? It's Cameron. Okay, when does he need to be there? 6.30. Okay, I'll take him. Are you taking Lily to gymnastics? Okay, right, we'll meet back. Rendezvous at 8 p.m. I mean, my goodness. Our time is consumed, isn't it? The biggest idol in our life at the moment is busyness. Isn't it? How are you doing? Oh, yeah, I'm good. I'm really busy. You go ask someone, how are you doing? And they say, you know what? I'm really good. I don't have a lot to do. You're like, what? What's wrong with you? Don't we? Because the idol is busyness. You're only important if you're busy. So when God comes to you and says, what's in your hand? And it's your time, you're like, well, there's not a lot there. It's mine. Don't we? Because we never feel we have much time. And the time that we do have, we're like, I, I, I just need it for me. So when a call is made from the church, we need folks to help with kids' church. We say, whoa, I don't have the time. 
or I don't have the talent to work with kids. Or we need people to greet folks as they come into church on Sunday morning. We're like, yeah, I'm not really good with people. And do the, don't do the whole smiling thing. Or there's a call to reach out the walls and bring people in, to be involved in something this church does, to go beyond itself, and you're like, I, I have nothing to offer. I don't have the skills, the gifts, the talent. So what do we do? We say, you know what? I have nothing to do. I just can't do it. Is it just me, or does anyone else ever feel like that? Yes, some people in the house. I'm too busy, I'm too tired, and I don't have what you need. And so we close our hands and we keep things to ourselves. So this morning, let's look at a beautiful Jesus story where Jesus speaks to this very issue. I love this story. It's found in John 6. It's going to be up on the screen. John 6, verses 1 through 14. Let's read this story together. Are we ready? Here we go. I really can't see the back because my eyes are terrible. I haven't had an eye test in 25 years. I'm just saying. I really shouldn't probably be driving. It's okay. I don't mean that. I'm really good. I really can't see. Okay. But I can't see that. So, <laughs> no, I can't. I'm going to prove it. Okay, here we go. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here. He has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now, there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down. About 5,000 in all, then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. I like that. No waste. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Let's pray, Jesus. Jesus, this morning we pray in the power of your name that your Holy Spirit would speak to every one of our hearts and we would leave differently from the way we came in. God, help us to open our hands before you and to live a life for a bigger story than our own. So bless these words. Change our hearts, we pray, in your name. Amen. There are three characters in this story. Let's look at the first one, Philip and Andrew. It's a twofer. Philip and Andrew. So Jesus sits everyone down, thousands, and he turns to Philip and said, hey, how are we going to feed them, Philip? Why did he ask Philip? Now, I imagine if I was one of the other disciples, I'd be like, Whew. it's all yours, Philip. <laughs> so why did he ask Philip? Well, interestingly, 
Where they sat down was probably Philip's hometown. So if anyone knew where stop and shop was, it was Philip. He was the guy. So he was the one to turn to. Hey, Philip, how are we going to feed these folks? You know this place. And what does he say? Dude. That's not true. I didn't, he didn't say dude. Dude, six months' wages would not... No, what? No. You see, Philip looked at the enormity of the problem. He saw how big the issue was, and he went, we cannot do this. Now, side note, it says in the text, Jesus did this to test Philip. Now, can I just say something? We've all been through school. We may still be in school. When it says that Jesus tests us, it's not like school. You know, at the end, you don't get a grade. You know, Jesus at the end didn't say, Philip, on your report card, I'm going to give you a C minus, because you just didn't have faith. No, that's not how our God works. You don't pass fail with God. God doesn't grade you in these moments. All Jesus is looking for, will you trust me? Come a little deeper. Will you trust me? Come. And if we don't get it, you know what? He just sends us around the mountain and asks the question again. You don't get a fail because he wants to draw you on. So for Philip, it looks like, oh, he's failing. No, no, no. He's just learning how to trust. That's okay. It takes a long time. So Philip's like, the problem's too big. And then Andrew really kindly offers up someone else's food. That was nice of him, wasn't it? He says, well, there's a kid here with five loaves and two fishes. But then what does he say? But that's not enough for the people. You see, Philip looked at the problem and said, wow, that's way too big. Andrew looked at the resources and said, we don't have enough. Do you see that? For Philip, it was too much to do. For Andrew, we just don't have the resources to do it. They were just the opposite sides of the same coin. Philip and Andrew. Let me tell you about Henry Ford. Yeah, we all, all know the Ford Motor Company. So, Henry Ford pulled in all of his engineers one day and said, I want to design a new engine. And he described it to them. And his engineers went, yeah, no. They went, we just can't do that, boss. And he said, you know what? You're right. I am the boss. Go design my engine. And they went for six months and they came back and they said, we can't do it. And he said, go design my engine. They came back again. We still can't do it. Go design my engine. It took 18 months. And they finally came back. And you know what they designed? The V8 engine. You see, Henry Ford saw the end. This can be done. But as engineers, as smart as they were, they were like, whoa, the problem's too big, and we are too small. That's Philip and Andrew in this story. So you think about our community here, where you live, and the call comes from the front. We're going to do this for Gardner. And you go, whoa problem's too big. The resource is too small. 
And that in our hands, we close and we put back in our pockets. That was Philip and Andrew. Okay, let's go to the second character in this story. Who is the second character in our story? It's the little boy. Now, as I said, Andrew very kindly offered up his food. Hey, this kid's got food. So there's this little boy standing here. It says he's got five barley loaves and two fish. To us, that doesn't mean much. Let's translate it because there's some important clues here. Well, first of all, it says he was standing by himself. That was really unusual because in the Jewish community, you're going to be with your family. So his family were somewhere in the crowd of thousands, just not here. So he's standing here by himself, and he has this food. Now, it says he had five what? Barley loaves. We're like, that doesn't mean anything to me. But there was an old Jewish saying, look at that field of barley, and the answer was, go tell it to the donkeys and horses. Why? Because only the poorest of the poor ate barley. So what do we learn about this boy? He is really poor. His family are incredibly poor. And he's standing by himself, but mom and dad and his siblings are somewhere in that crowd. And then this guy called Andrew says, he's got food. How would you feel if you were that little boy? Because I can promise you he is holding everything that his family had. He is holding all the food that they had. And he can't even just swing to mom or dad and say, help. Because he would look to them to tell them what to do. They're not there. They're somewhere in the crowd. He can't, he can't see them. Imagine you were him in this moment. This is everything you had for that day. To feed your whole family, and this guy's just offered your food up. Now we can be like, it's all right, he's getting rid of Jesus. We know what's going to happen. There's going to be plenty. He has no idea. He hasn't a clue what's going to happen. He is asking to make such a trust step that it would be too much for most of us. You see, the problem for us is we can read the whole Bible. <laughs> we know how the stories end. Jesus just died. It's fine. Three days. It's going to raise again. He's going up to heaven. It's fine. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. He'll help us. You know, that's part of our problem. See, when you read the stories, imagine you were living it. That makes it really different. So here's this boy standing with everything. And what does he do? He's crazy. He takes such a, a step of faith and trust, not knowing how the story is going to end, but he's willing to give everything for this man. He gave everything that was in his hands. It seemed so meager, so inconsequential, so small. Five loaves, two fish. Yet to him it was everything, and he gave it all away. There's a story about a well in the middle of the Amargosa Desert in Nevada. 
and there's a pump at this well, and at the well is a little piece of paper, and it says, this well is good to go. There is cold, fresh water in this well. Under the bush, I have put a jar of cold water. Don't drink it. Take the jar, pour it over the well, over the rubber joint, and, the, and prime it and pump it. Use the whole jar of water. Once you've done that, you can get as much water as you want from that well. Just fill the bottle up, put it back where you found it so the next person can do the same. What would you do? It's a desert, people. I'm really thirsty and hot. I can read the instructions and follow them, not knowing whether it's really going to work. Or I could just drink the bottle of cold water. What are you going to do? That's what God calls us to when He asks us to trust Him. I can follow the instructions and hope it works out, or I can just trust myself and do my own thing. Scripture calls us to follow. Calls us to surrender. Calls us to trust. Calls us to have faith. And we're like, hands in my pockets. One of my favorite songs is Good, Good Father. Guaranteed I'm going to cry every time I sing it. Because it's true. He is a good, good father. He's not going to let you go. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. He'll carry you. Trust him. His character is good. Don't think about earthly goodness. It's not comparable. This is divine goodness. So when God asks you what's in your hand, He's not trying to trick you. He's not, He's saying, will you trust me because I'm good? Let's go to the final character in our story, the crowd. The crowd. You think I was going to say Jesus, but I'm not. I'm going to say the crowd. So, but I'm going to talk about Jesus. So Andrew offers up the little boy's food. The little boy gives what's in his hands, and out goes the food. And everyone gets what they need. Everyone is satisfied. And what do they say? Hey, maybe he's the one. Maybe he's the one. You see, Jesus performs a sign that points to himself. They don't call this one a miracle, they call it a sign. Because a sign points to something or to someone, doesn't it? This points to Jesus. Because the crowd's response is, huh, he's different. Maybe he's the one. So what does that say to you and me? I drove in this morning, there were three guys in the parking lot giving me a smile and showing me where to go. That spoke to me of Jesus. When I walked in, I was immediately greeted by someone. 
who shook my hand and said, welcome. That speaks to me of Jesus. If my kids had been here, they'd have went in a kid's church. That speaks to me of Jesus. Those people that sat at the back, I did their job for 10 years. They are the biggest representation of Jesus. <laughs> I made a joke with them. See, when everything goes right, no one looks at, that, at them. As soon as one thing goes wrong, <laughs> I said, everyone in church should do one month up there because you learn grace. In our story, a physical need was met but a spiritual journey was begun. See, when you serve kids in kids' church, a physical need is met, and a journey for kids to meet Jesus begins. When you're out front welcoming people into church who this is their first time, and they are so nervous to come in, and you just shake their hand and say, it's great to see you. You meet the physical need of calming them down, and you meet a spiritual need of, huh, you're different. Can you see that? So when a church that is as awesome as this says, we need you, please don't look at it as just a case of, well, it's just filling in a hole or doing something. No, it's not. In every one of these things, you're going to meet, first of all, a physical need. Something needs to be done. But more than that, you are meeting a spiritual need. Just like in this story. We don't serve because it's for us. But here's what's interesting. So much secular research has shown that when you serve others, you feel better about yourself. Now, how weird is that? It's almost like God designed us to live that way, isn't it? I think there's a God principle in that. On, and this isn't Christians doing research. This is secular research. They're like, huh, when you are generous with your time, with your talents, when you serve others, even though you're doing something for someone else, you feel better about yourself. Now, we don't do it for that reason, but my word, that's an awesome, awesome side effect, isn't it? I feel lonely. Go and greet people. Guarantee you won't feel lonely. I just don't feel there's anything I can do. You know, standing in a parking lot, giving people a wave in direction, it's not hard, but it means the world. Kids' church, I'm, I'm it will stop. You can be trained. What's in your hand this morning? Okay. Let's begin to pull this together. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Let's pull all this together. Who are we like this morning? Are we like the disciples or the little boy in this story? Who are you like this morning? Are you like Philip? It's too big a, it's too big a problem. We, we can't do this for our community. We can't do this. We'll, 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 we'll never make a difference. I'm looking at a difference right here. Because someone had a vision to make the difference. It's got to start small. We don't have enough of a resource. 
We just, and, and I, 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 don't have the talent, I don't have the time. What has this story told us? Jesus will take nothing and make it everything. He will take the meager and make it into abundance when you trust him. This story shows us that Jesus can take nothing and through him he can make it everything when you open your hands and trust him. Will you trust him today? I have so little to offer. Yes, so did the little boy. And look what Jesus did. So are we like Philip and Andrew? Are we going to be like the little boy? Are we going to be like the little boy in this story? Are you willing to believe what God can do in you and through you for this community? Are you going to live for your story or his? What do we see in Scripture? We hear about someone called Moses who God says, throw, th- throw that staff down, Moses, and it changes into a snake. And Moses realizes how much more powerful God is than he. We read the story about a woman called Mary who takes a, a flask of oil, everything she has, and she pours it over Jesus' feet. And her story is told thousands of years later about forgiveness. And we learn about an old woman who put in two pennies, two pennies, And Jesus says, that woman gave everything for me. What's in your hand this morning? Are you willing to give it for a bigger story than your own? You see, the end of our story in Star Wars is what? Han leaves gold and ship. He's happy. But then something happens. And he comes back. And he joins the fight and the rebels win. You see, Han chose to live for a story bigger than his own. And that's the invitation before every one of you this morning. I don't have the time and I don't have the talent. Give what's in your hand and watch what God is going to do through you. You will tell stories that only you can tell of what God did through you when you gave him what was in your hand. I look at these and I think, yes, yes. What is God going to do when people sign up for this? I'm excited to come back to see what God does. I think I'm going to be blown away as you choose to give him what's in your hand. Don't look at the problem. Don't look at the resources. Trust the good, good Father. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus. Jesus. You are a good, good God. And this morning, Lord, we open our hands before you. And we just give you what's in our hands, our time and our talents. And we say, use them for your glory. Use us for a bigger story than our own life. To see your kingdom come, your will be done in this church and outside the walls of this church. 
God, help us to trust you. You're a good, good God. For the glory of your name.